0: Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jeehee Jolly. Today we're talking about college, how hard it can be to decide where to go and what to pursue, and how to find your purpose while there. Our guest is Joseph Gedacious from Texas, a 25 year old football coach and high school teacher who shares his own journey through high school and college and how it led him to the work he's doing today. In short, Joseph struggled with confidence in high school and felt easily overwhelmed by the effort required to pursue college. Once he got in, his grades suffered and he found himself headed down a path that he'd seen before in his family. This is when he decided to begin his own Buddhist practice and step-by-step by, step, by chanting nam Yo renge kyo the core of SGI Nichiren Buddhist practice, and making great supportive friends, he was able to establish a foundation and winning attitude toward life. I'll let him tell the rest of the story. Here's Joseph.
1: So my name is Joseph Ganeshas, calling from Dallas, Texas, the best city in the country, Uh, 25 years old. And uh, I am a teacher and a football coach at a uh, local high school here in East Dallas.
0: Awesome. And how and when and why did you start chanting nam myoho and practicing as chani Buddhism?
1: So my mother, she was actually introduced in 1985 along with my grandmother in New York City. So me being 25, born in 96, uh, I was born into the practice. So uh, growing up, I always heard my mom chanting, my mom always brought me to meetings. Um, So I was always exposed to Buddhism, but really didn't start practicing myself until like high school, college, when challenges actually started to exist for me,
0: so... Mm. Okay, got it. I, I know we're going to dig into to that story a little bit today. So um, why don't we first understand a little bit about what your, your dream was? Because you are a teacher and a football coach. Um, is that something you always wanted to do? How did you sort of decide to pursue that path?
1: Um, so actually in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and it was kind of frustrating because everyone else around me knew what they wanted to do. Except for me. So I remember it got to my senior year in high school and all my friends, they were applying for all these Texas universities and getting auto acceptance because of their GPA and all that. And I was just middle of the road, um, actually a little below that. And uh, basically how I thought about it was, okay, well, all my friends are applying to college. Um, It's kind of a four year journey. So I think that'll give me four more years to figure out what I want to do. I didn't want to just stop at high school and not know. So I applied to universities. I applied to seven in Texas and one in California. And uh, within three weeks, I got rejected by all of them. Um, so it's kind of frustrating because I saw, again, my friends were getting auto acceptance. And I was like, oh, well, this isn't how it's supposed to happen. I was supposed to just get my letter and move on and float through life, if you want to say. Hmm. Um but it wasn't until actually I ended up getting onto the university campus in San Antonio um, that I, I figured I wanted to do something with sports and kinesiology because that's what I did all throughout high school. But I didn't really know. Like I, I went into college with an undecided major. And it wasn't until uh, I started to take my uh, pedagogy classes and coaching that I realized and with even volunteer opportunities, how they had it every semester, I had to get uh, X amount of hours at this school. They put me in different schools all across San Antonio that I realized it was actually kind of fun, like being with uh, even elementary students, middle school. And then at the time they were so close to my age, but high school students, um, still kind of close to age even now, (laughs) still being a relatively young teacher um but it was really in I'd say my sophomore junior year in college that's when I realized that I wanted to be a coach as well as a teacher so I didn't know in high school Mm. um I just trusted my friends and my mom really wanted me to go to college so um I did that and of course I was able to get in and from there it kind of just took off to where I realized that this is something that I really wanted to do like be be with kids and and uh, help them in whatever capacity that I can, whether it be with work or life or anything that they just needed. So, mm,
0: Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, and I, I imagine that your own kind of experience at that age may have informed it a little bit. So I, I want to I ask about that. So you did share that you struggled in high school and in college in different ways. And this was also the time that you decided to really... Try to practice Buddhism. So, um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, can you sort of explain like what was happening at the time and what kind of, yeah, what what were the kind of challenges that you were facing?
1: Yeah, I think uh, high school, college, those were kind of two different types of struggles. So I'll, I'll go into both. But for high school, it was specifically like I would feel just my my confidence as a as a person. I was just kind of floating through things, and football was my purpose. I played football all throughout high school. And that was the really the my favorite thing looking forward to every day. Um, but then of course, after senior year, you, you have to stop playing high school football at a time. So that's when I had to actually start thinking about my life and what I wanted to do. And there was a point where I thought about going to play college football, um, because I had the opportunity or I could have set myself up to have that opportunity. Um, but because it at the time it felt like it was a lot of effort that I had to do with like paperwork and applications and all that. And putting together film, it was, it was overwhelming for me. So I kind of just let that slide. Um, So yeah, I think that was kind of for high school. And then for college in particular, I just really loved the fact that uh, I was able to be very social (laughs) Mm -hmm. to where I remember my first week, I was the very eager freshmen on campus it felt like arrows were just pointing at me like hey talk to this guy <laughs> So there were many organizations and clubs on campus that were um, that were that I was going to talk to and they were coming to find me and talk with and one thing led to another and of course in college that just means you're getting invited to parties mm-hmm. so very quickly I got acclimated within that I remember probably within the first two weeks, exchange numbers with probably 100 plus people, just because that's how like, that's where I was. And that's what I wanted to do just enjoy college because I was there. And actually, within my first month of college, I ended up getting arrested for three misdemeanors. And it was a reflection just because for one, um, it was possession of marijuana, it was drinking underage, and then public intoxication. Uh, for one, growing up, uh, there's been a history of like drug and alcohol abuse in my family. And it felt like I was just following this path because typically when it started in my family, it was actually after high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like I was just kind of following this path. But because I grew up uh, hearing nam myoho kyo that was actually one of the first things that came to mind when I was arrested and threw into the cop car mm. um, to where I actually vividly remember on the police report that I saw the next day, it said "Gadacious." that's my last name, was slurring some sort of chant. <laughs> uh, so like, and I, I read that and like, I remembered I was chanting, oh I don't know gosh. why, but I felt like that was, of course, it wasn't the magic spell to get me out of it, but it was going to help me like at the time just to get my stuff together, um, whatever I could have done. And um, so it was kind of this ball and chain that I felt like within my family. Um, but then also because Nam-myo kill was the first thing that came to mind uh, the next day and the next week, I wanted to actually kind of discover and dive into why didn't Damo get kill come into my mind mm. at that time so the next day I actually decided to reach out to someone from the Buddhist community who messaged me before I got to San Antonio uh, because he heard about me moving there and all that like yeah looking forward to meet and connect with you and I just left him on red and I think like a month and a half later I decided to actually like message him I was like Hey, are there any meetings up and coming? I, I want to come check one out. Um, so he got me connected. And I remember at my first discussion meeting, I heard this woman's experience who overcame her marriage. And she was in her mid-40s. I was 18 at the time. Hmm. So I knew nothing about marriage or even really relationships at that time. But it wasn't so much the content of her experience. It was really the, the heart and her sincerity that no matter what anyone is going through, if you make an effort to chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, you will set yourself up and put yourself on the right path to overcome what it is you're challenging. And Mm -hmm. that was the first time that for one, I went to a meeting on my own choosing because previously it was just my mom bringing me or I felt Mm -hmm. like I had to go. But this was the first time that I've heard experiences for. Years and years and years, but it really resonated with me, like to the point to where I decided for myself that I want to start practicing Buddhism and be more serious with it and learn about who Daisaku Ikeda is, because I knew like I knew of him, but I didn't really recognize or make an effort to see why is this man so great? Like, why do many people consider him a mentor? Like, why should I consider him a mentor? So that was really kind of the life, life altering or changing situation in college. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate because it happened in my first two months. Um, I kind of reflect and think about if this, if this situation where I didn't like, if I got arrested, say like two years after college, that pattern would have just happened for two years over and over. And that's two years of my life that I felt like I would have wasted. But I feel fortunate in the sense that it happened in my first month of college. I remember I moved in on August 24th and this happened on September 21st. So not even one month. Um, So I feel fortunate in that sense that because it happened very quickly, um, this was what allowed me to um, just start getting engaged and start to learn about Buddhism and apply it for my life, not just have this be a a philosophy that I know about and not really live. So,
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's a pretty epic, like, I guess, wake up call in a sense, but it kind of <laughs> came from within you. I mean, basically what I'm hearing from you is that you, so you grew up kind of knowing about Buddhism because of your mom um, and then you get to college and it sounds like you're this like, life-of-the-party type of person, you're good at football, life is fine, and then you sort of end up in this situation um, and have this kind of wake-up call after getting arrested. Um, So after you reached out and sort of got connected to the Buddhist community and decided to start chanting, you know, it's a very, like, personal practice it's you sitting down and chanting so how did it feel like did you did it start to make a difference in your life was it hard for you to chant did you was it easy kind of like what was going through your mind when it comes to the actual daily practice itself and how did you approach that
1: well at first um, when I reached out to get connected with activities and meetings in the community um, it was kind of just that I just felt like I needed some some sort of family. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it re- at the beginning, I wouldn't say maybe until like four or five months down the line, it was just me participating in these meetings and feeling like like I have a family out there or someone who can support me. So really, my, my Buddhist practice, I, I would say, like for myself, didn't really start daily until about, when was it, 2015, um, like January or February, at the beginning of 2015. That's when, like, I really made the effort to uh, chant nam myoho kyo and study and all that on, on my own, not just at meetings. But I made the effort probably... I mean, at the time, it was like three or four meetings like every week because of mm. pre-COVID, <laughs> the mm-hmm. Buddhist Center was always open. So I was able to just pop in and join, whether it be an introduction to Buddhism meeting, a basics of Buddhism meeting, a, uh, a study lecture from Daisaku Ikeda, whatever it may have been. I just wanted to be around it because it made me feel good.
0: I see. Got it. Um, And then so then in 2015, like, did you have a goal in mind that you were like, I'm going to really chant about this? Or how did you begin to incorporate it? I'm thinking from the perspective of someone who's like, this sounds great. I want to try it, too. You know, like what kind of steps did you take to start really chanting and what did you chant about?
1: Yeah. um, So beginning of 2015, I finished my first semester of college and my grades were actually Pretty terrible, uh, actually, to the point to where originally I was on this four-year plan because that's how I got accepted through this academic um, kind of like a pre-academic probation. They're like, hey, your grades aren't the greatest, but we'll take a shot at you. We'll see what you can do, but we're going to limit you to like these amount of credits in your first semester. Then if you do good, then we'll, we'll mm-hmm. keep you. you don't have to be on this plan anymore. Um, so because actually in my first semester with all these parties and arrests and situation I shared earlier, I remember I had a meeting with one of my counselors and they said that actually I'm not on pace to finish in four years. And she wanted to change my like academic uh, plan to actually finishing in five years. And I was like, in my head, I was like, no, that's not happening. Like I'm finishing, I'm getting out of here in four years. Like I'm going to be done. So that was also... I would say what intrinsically motivated me to actually start practicing and chanting, that was really my goal. I wanted to prove this counselor wrong that I am going to get my grades right. I am going to do what I'm supposed to do and actually finish in four years. So I wanted to prove her wrong, uh, but then also prove myself, prove to myself that I could do it. So specifically, it was being able to... Uh, get my grades right. Again, fix my GPA. And then it was at that point to where I realized for one, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job. Like I wanted to like establish myself a little more in San Antonio. So those are the things I was specifically chanting about. Like I wanted to get my own car. I wanted to purchase it on my own, like brand new. I wanted to get a job that respects the fact that I am a student. And because I had other friends that were telling me like, they're having to work extra hours and all this and that. And it's difficult for them to balance their school. So one of the things I started to chant for specifically was that type of job that would respect that I am a student and give me the flexibility to work on projects. Or again, I was getting more active in my uh, Buddhist activities. So I wanted flexibility for that um and then of course my grades so I feel like in 2015 those are my my three big things Mm -hmm. I wanted to get a car I wanted to get my grades right and I wanted to get a job
0: I see yeah I mean that's very very practical I feel like a lot of people can I mean you're setting up a foundation for your life basically and you're like let's see how chanting can help me do that um so did Mm -hmm. did all of that end up happening
1: Yes. I remember actually a friend in the Buddhist community, he really encouraged me and challenged me to set dates for when I want to achieve these goals. Huh. And there's a significant date in the SGI, March 16th, Kozen Rufu Day. Um, and this was one of the days that I set to have uh, my job to where I can have my car by actually July 3rd, which is my birthday. Hmm. Um, So... I remember actually that weekend, there was an opportunity for um, youth across Texas and Oklahoma to gather in Dallas um, for a youth gathering. And I was asked to support as the MC or Masters of Ceremony. And it was a great opportunity. I, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it, Met, made a lot of friends there. And this was one of the things I was really challenging. And I remember on the way back, Um, so throughout that process, I was applying, I think maybe like 20, 30 jobs in San Antonio. I was working at Six Flags beforehand and I just did not like it. It was terrible. Uh, I I worked in the games department and it was, I mean, if you're high school, that's great. But I, I, Six Flags was not for me. So (laughs) that's why I decided I wanted to get a real, like a, a job job and I applied maybe 20, 30 places and I remember on the way back from Dallas to San Antonio, um, I saw that I had a voicemail from this car dealership that I didn't remember applying for. But I guess I did. And I'm not going to lie for some of the positions I was applying for stuff that I didn't qualify for. like It was a full time position, like the service department. And I was like, eh, whatever, we'll see what it works. It's, it's right there by the university. I'll try it out. So I applied, I guess. I didn't even remember. And he said he saw my application. So he wanted me to come in for an interview on Tuesday. I was coming back on Sunday. And I was really nervous. Like it was like my first real job interview. I didn't even have a car. So I had a friend drive me there. He like sat in the parking lot, waited for me. And to, I remember he was asking me all these questions that because I never really practiced for an interview, I just didn't know how to answer. But Like, I remember just being tongue-tied the entire time. I started to sweat. It was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, as he was asking me these questions, I was like, there's no way I'm getting this job. And at the end of it, he saw that I was majoring in kinesiology. Um, So he was like, hey, my, my daughter majors in kinesiology at UTSA. So that was, like, kind of the common bridge to kind of help ease my tension. I guess maybe that's what he saw and helped me out. Um, and then as we were talking and he asked why, and he was like, well, you do realize, um, this position has nothing to do with what you're trying to do after college. So why are you here? Um, and I just, I was very just straightforward with him. Like, I want to be able to save up for this and that, and I want to be able to provide for myself and just establish myself as a young man. And, um, after the conversation, he was like, you know what? I really like you. What do, what do I got to do to keep you around here? And I, <laughs> I was actually shocked. I was like, what? Like I like in my head, I was like, I said everything you're not supposed to answer on an on an interview and you, you want me here. But I like, I had to pull it out from within, but like actually have the confidence to say what I was chanting for, which I mentioned earlier that I wanted a, a job that respected the fact that I was a student and that allowed the flexibility for me to, do my extracurricular activities and focus on school. And he said, okay. He said, what's your semester schedule like? So I told him my semester schedule. And then I told him my free availability times or my pockets of time that I could work. Um, and then I said, I could do Saturdays as well. He's like, well, we don't really have Saturday positions, but I guess I can give that for you. I, I can create that for you. So mm-hmm. every semester, so that, that was the job I ended up getting. But every semester I worked there for three years, like this manager, I just told him what my school schedule was. I told him when I was going to work and he said, okay. (laughs) And it was like a benefit in a sense, because like I never, for one, because it was so specific what I was chanting for, I didn't think that a little 18 year old kid like me would be able to go up to the service manager of this luxury car dealership and tell him what schedule I'm going to work it was like whoa this is kind of mind blowing mm-hmm. so having the opportunity to work there uh, i was actually able to save up uh within 3 or 4 months to purchase my own uh purchase my own car bought it brand new i never thought i would be able to do that but working i was i was able to of course and mm-hmm. being frugal with my money mm-hmm. um so yeah i think just within the first half of that year of 2015 um, I was able to get the job that respected that I was a student and gave me the flexibility um, for school stuff and for my Buddhist activities. I was able to um, get my car, which I really wanted. And I uh, yeah. And then the third thing was, of course, my grades and my grades actually improved to the point to where that counselor made a beeline to find me and apologize to me about the comment that she shared that I wasn't going to finish in five. Like, oh, you're actually doing better than I thought.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh. What a turnaround. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's uh, hearing you say all this, like, makes me think of um, the Buddhist concept, earthly desires are enlightenment, which, you know, Mm. is like any... Normal thing, whether it's like I want a car, which might come off as like, oh, it's materialism, and you guys practice Buddhism, what's the connection? But like anything that allows you to be specific about what it is that your goals are and gets you to sit down and chant is like puts you on the path Mm -hmm. to unlock your, you know, what we call Buddha ability or your enlightenment or Buddha nature. Um, So yeah, this just sounds like such an awesome example of exactly that. Like the specificity in your goals made your environment respond. which is uh, mm-hmm. really cool. Um, one one follow-up question, and then I want to kind of shift gears to, to the work that you're doing now. Um, how do I ask this question? What would you say, like, internally, because Buddhism is about, you know, inner transformation at the end of the day or what we call human revolution. These experiences um, that you had, you know, like setting and achieving these goals and really incorporating Buddhism into your life, what would you say internally was like the biggest kind of change in you since you've really started practicing Buddhism? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Um, I think specifically, um, just the confidence within myself and how I carry myself, but also not compromising on things that I want to achieve. Like there were times where because I didn't feel confident in something or felt like, yeah, I felt like I couldn't do it, I would settle for less. Mm. Um, But because of this practice, like, if there was something that I really want, it empowered me to actually go fight for it. Of course, it's like chanting isn't just going to throw it into my hands. I have to go challenge and fight for it. Um, That's what I had to do throughout college and even now working. Um, things aren't just gonna be handed to me because I chant, but being able to have that perseverance of like, this is what I want, and this is what I want to achieve, and this is how I'm gonna do it. Like Nami Ohorin kyo gave me that inner confidence that I can do it and allows me to not compromise on what I want to achieve or what I want to break through with.
0: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a great way to great way to put it. Um, And do you, uh, you also mentioned earlier, you know, once you started immersing yourself in the Buddhist community and studying more about Buddhism and reading um, the works of Daisaku Ikeda, who, you know, we study in SGI Nichiren Buddhism, and um, many people also consider a life mentor. Was there any teaching or quote or guidance or concept that really stood out to you that you were like, this, like, I like this, like, this is what I want to really hold on to?
1: Yeah, um it's kind of strict. So I don't know how you want to frame this.
0: <laughs> are you but, kidding? Uh, yeah, I, go I remember.
1: For it. Okay. How I maybe I need to rephrase it, but I'll share how I interpret it and then how I need to. Um but I remember in 2016, I believe it was. Yes, in 2016 I was reading this essay that uh Daisaku Ikeda wrote to student division members who are Uh, members of uh, university now 18 to 25 and he wrote this essay and specifically he said the realm of Soka does not need losers Um, and there's more context to it of course but that's what like stuck out to me like not just like um like a childish type of way of hearing loser like like, on playground, like, oh, you're a loser, la, 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 like that kind of thing. But, like, loser in the sense of, like, never giving up. Like, you win. I mean, I don't I don't know how else to phrase this. But, I mean, it, for me, it was the realm of so good does not need losers. And to me, that was very uh, strict in the sense of how it uh, pierced my heart. Like, I, I can't lose. Like, I, I have to win. So I don't know if that's even
0: appropriate. No, I mean, share, that's really hardcore, but I love it. it but, yeah, you know. yeah. For anyone listening, Soka, the word Soka means value creation, um, which is the, then you know, from Soka Gakkai, SGI, the community. Um, so uh, just to clarify that, but it, so if I'm thinking about it, like the realm of value creation doesn't need losers. Meaning if you're serious about creating value, you can't lose. Like you have to win at whatever you decided is that you're going to do. Yeah, so it completely makes sense to me. I love it. I needed to hear that, I think. Um, Wow. So, I mean, yeah, I I have so many other questions. But maybe, like, let's let's, uh, fast forward a little bit. So you... You have this experience and it sounds like you were able to build this kind of foundation for your life throughout college from getting work experience, from studying, from practicing Buddhism. And then you graduated and now you're a teacher and a coach. So you're sort of back to where you started, but a very different version of you some years ago. Um, So yeah, tell me what your daily life looks like now. I mean, what is it, you know, what does coaching and teaching really entail for you?
1: Yeah, uh, I think... My, my daily schedule, I mean, there's kind of two phases of my life. There's football in season and football out of season. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, because we're in season, um, my day pretty much starts at like five in the morning. Uh, wake up and chant nam myoho to set my day off right. And then we usually start practice either seven or like 7.30. So I start my day with football practice. Then right after that, we make sure all of our kids are ready to go to school. So that's when I get ready for my classes and all that, of course, prepared beforehand, but ready to go. So I start the day with football, then I go my classes. So I teach like biology and anatomy. So like one day I'll have freshmen and then the next day I'll have seniors. Then at the end of the day, I'll finish with like, we have uh, lifting weights or film session. Or a sub-varsity game. And then, of course, on Fridays, that's when we have our, it's our game day, our varsity game day. So uh, pretty much on a, on a daily, daily basis, I start with football. In the middle of my day, I have teaching either biology or anatomy. And then I finish my day with football. And then after that, uh, use my spare time to do what I need to do around the house or uh, reach out to some other Buddhist friends and see how they're doing.
0: Mm. Wow. And did you start this job right out of college?
1: I did not. So actually, when I graduated, um, I needed one more certification to actually start. And when I graduated, just because it was so great of an accomplishment for me, I felt like I could do anything. Mm. So I felt like I could take a test without even studying for it. So... I took the test one month after I graduated and I like bombed it completely. And I was like, well, it's okay. Um, I'll just take it later on this year. And then on the second attempt, um, with a little bit of more studying, I actually uh, bombed it even worse than I did the first time. And because it was coming towards the end of 2018, um, 2018 was my big year because I was supposed to graduate or I graduated and I was going to start teaching. But because I couldn't pass on that second attempt, uh, it actually became really discouraging. I, was, I felt like everything I did that year, everything I was supposed to accomplish um, didn't manifest. So I was like, what am I doing type, type of feeling? Like, Why am I making all these efforts for other people if I can't win myself? Like if I can't get my life rolling in the way that I wanted it to. Mm. Um. So that's when I uh, was speaking with some people. Uh, Buddhist seniors, and they really encouraged me again back to this point from Ikeda Sensei that really resonated within my heart. The realm of Soka does not need losers. Like we have to, we have to win no matter what. We have to continue to persevere. If this is something that we said we wanted to accomplish. Like just because it's it's not at the time that we wanted it to, we have to keep fighting for it. So 2019, that was my big focus. Like, all right. This is my year. this is where I'm gonna start my career off and set get things rolling back in the way that I wanted it to. And on my third attempt, I was able to pass. And I remember it was like one month later I started going on all these interviews. So it was actually my fifth interview at the school that I'm at now that I just felt really comfortable with the head coach that I was interviewing with and then also, uh, the assistant principals and my co-teachers in the science department that just really made me feel like okay, this is somewhere where I can be comfortable, but also uh, learn and develop and start my career. And it was all from my chanting, honestly. Um, actually, there was one of the science teachers there that was a part of the interview that graduated from UTSA, being in Dallas, and really, there's not many. Um, people in Dallas that graduated from UTSA. So there was also that kind of mm-hmm. connection, if you want to say, because going back to my job with the car dealership, uh, this manager had a daughter at the school and then same thing, same thing at the school. So it just felt like, Oh, I'm, I'm home. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I felt. So I was like, okay, well I can't let this opportunity slip. So I took it. And I ran with it and, of course, did all the onboarding stuff. And, yeah, I mean, actually, my first year of teaching, I technically didn't finish because of COVID. So I made it through eight months. And then March 2020, COVID happened. Uh, So we finished the year, of course, virtual. And then all last year was completely virtual. So this year is actually going to be like my first from August to June my first like full year of teaching, like in a, in a, in a true traditional classroom setting.
0: I see. So. Yeah. Wow. I was going to ask actually about COVID because does that mean for football, you were just on hold for the last year or were you still able to, to be coaching or playing? Or were you able to play?
1: Uh, yeah, we were able to play. I know in March, uh, when everything went down, that's when we had to just like, that was on hold and then once June and July came around uh, with lots of precaution, we tried to see if we can do workouts, um, but it was just very difficult to do because someone would catch COVID and we had to shut everything down for two weeks. So I think in that summer, we probably of like the 12 week summer only worked out for a total of like three
0: weeks. Oh, wow. And
1: then our season got delayed, but we were able to make it through. Uh, we had a successful season I know our my first year there we were three and seven um and then the following year we so the covid year if you want to say we were seven and three we made it to the playoffs uh, we lost in the first round of the playoffs but that was a significant turnaround. It was something very memorable for the seniors
0: so so for the youth that you're supporting now i mean i'm I'm so curious to hear like how you think about it and what you. Now that you're sort of on the other side, like what do you think or witness that they really struggle with at this age because you know what you're se- seven years ago you were their age, right? Um, so uh, yeah, just like what kind of things do they struggle with and what sort of is your vision for for the youth that you're now teaching and mentoring and training and supporting?
1: Yes, um, I think very similar to me. Um, I think like self-confidence, um, one of the things that I think our kids and who I work with in particular, a lot of them are kind of indecisive because they're afraid of what other people will think. Like they want to, they want to be like a people pleaser, if you want to say, and that's kind of a crappy way to live your life. Just always trying to please people because you're not doing what you genuinely want to do. Um, so I think that's kind of one of the big things like self-confidence, um, being able to, of course, uh, learn how to interact and respect other adults or authority figures. So there's always those situations here and there, I think just helping them learn what life is really like after, after high school. So helping them learn how they can create their own path, not just do what their parents want them to do or society wants them to do. Um, So, yeah, it it, it takes a long time, but I think that's what the four years of high school is really meant for. Of course, learning the basics and what you need to know. But I think also like learning how to be a respectful young adult that is willing to learn how to navigate life after high school.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, And what kind of role does your Buddhist practice now play in, I mean, I imagine it's, it's not easy. I'm sure it's really fun to work with them, but I also imagine it's tough at times. So just curious, like, you know, now that you've had these years of Buddhist practice um, and experiences in your own personal life under your belt, how do you sort of see your practice um, playing a role in your, in your life now?
1: I definitely definitely see a lot of Buddhist concepts come to life very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, like actually the other day, um, we were doing a project in our anatomy class and there's this one girl who likes to kind of ask sarcastic questions or like off topic questions. I should say not sarcastic. Well, some of them are sarcastic, some of them are just very off topic. So we were doing this like muscular skeletal project So I I explained it, any questions. And she asked me very randomly. I wasn't expecting it. uh, Mr. What's the purpose of life? I was like, oh, man, (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of off topic. But let's let's talk like let me get everybody started and then we can talk about that. Um, So actually, very quickly, um, that was actually an interesting dialogue I was able to have with her because she felt like like. She didn't know what her purpose was and she opened up about her family situation. Like she's a soccer player and all these things and felt pressured to go to school and all that because very similar to me, all the other seniors were applying to places and talking about doing applications and all that. And she, she just didn't know what she wanted to do. Um, so it kind of made her question, what's the purpose of life? And going back just to my Buddhist study and my experience, of course, keeping it professional, Like I can only share so much. uh, And of course, I can't share specifically like Buddhism, but just these concepts and how I can share within lessons or within one-to-one conversations with these students. I feel like that's what I really enjoy the most about my, my job not just like the fact that oh i'm i'm teaching them this or i'm teaching them football no it's like uh intertwined with all of that i'm teaching them how to how to how to be a responsible and a young person who can contribute to society if you want to say not just float around because that's kind of how i felt like in high school i was just floating around and doing what i was asked and that was it but Kind of giving them a purpose
0: yeah i it makes me think that it it sort of maybe feels like we can take it for granted at at some point you know once you really start practicing buddhism your purpose starts to feel so clear at least in the sgi Mm -hmm. but i it makes me wonder like was there a moment for you where you felt like you had a purpose bigger than yourself because i'm realizing that i didn't ask about that but it must be driving a lot of like your like how solid you are feeling about your life Um, and that is something like, as you said, most teenagers, they don't have anything to like bank on, you know, what's the point of my life? Like, why am I even here? Why should I get a job? Why should I, you know, try all of those questions? So does that make sense? So I'm just wondering, like, how would you sort of define your purpose? Like, and, and was there a moment in your Buddhist practice where you were like, this is, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is why I should keep going kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I have two examples in particular. I think one, right when COVID hit, the focus was just like check up on our kids and see how they're doing. But I realized very quickly um, when we were reaching out to our players, um, a lot of them don't have a very ideal home life like where they enjoy being home. Like they really needed that structure and support of school and football for them to like enjoy their lives. So I think that was kind of the first part, like during COVID, just reaching out to um, some of our players, FaceTiming them, seeing how they're doing. Um, some of them were working at the time, like for family businesses. There was one in particular that was working at a car shop and he just couldn't stop like working just because his family really needed him to. But then he couldn't balance with the online school because it was very new to him at the time, really new to everybody. Um so like kind of just those small reach out to those interactions, it made me really see like okay my 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 job and purpose is much bigger than just like I mentioned earlier, just teaching a content or teaching a sport. Like it's much bigger than that. Mm. And I think even more recently in April of this year, uh, one of the seniors who we we relied on was a an impact player for our seven and three season. Uh, He actually passed away from overdose. And I remember getting the call and I was just so shocked. And the next day we had to cancel practice. We brought all 100 plus players that are in the program. We had to officially break the news to them. And I remember I got emotional three times about it because for one, I worked directly with this young man. Uh, It was never something that anyone would have anticipated or thought what was happening. Uh, But those are the types of things that our kids are unfortunately exposed to outside of school and football. Um, So that really helped me even solidify even more, like, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Not just, again, like I mentioned, teaching a content or teaching a sport, but impacting, like, and bringing a positive energy or force to these young men's lives that they may not have outside of school or outside of the building so Mm. those are kind of the two instances that i realized and of course uh more and more will come up uh hopefully not in that extreme situation of overdose but these situations where i will like deepen the understanding of why i'm doing what i'm doing
0: yeah absolutely i i understand yeah those are very serious um situations. And I, I imagine that, like, you know, thinking back, even for myself in high school, like that one teacher or like that one person that you feel like you could really talk to or really inspires you makes such a huge difference when you're when you're that age, you really just need like one person. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. If you especially if you don't have access to anyone like that in your life. Um, so that totally makes sense. And is very encouraging. Thank you for sharing.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I remember like um, one of the reasons I also wanted to be the type of teacher and coach that I am now is I remember, like you mentioned, those very awesome teachers or coaches and then those really crappy, for lack of a better word, teachers or coaches that kind of just did their job and that was it. Like really didn't go above and beyond to just ask how I was doing or what are you up to this weekend or whatever it is so i make that an effort on my part to ask how kids are doing or oh how was your weekend or did you go to the state fair like uh last night or two two nights ago was our homecoming so this weekend or this week when i go back to them i want to ask them well i was homecoming (laughs) like i was the game i was the dance all that stuff so Mm. yeah
0: Yeah, understood. I just have one final question, which is how I always end the show. um, And that is, if you had to give one piece of advice to someone who's listening, who might be really new to Buddhism, um, but they are feeling kind of like incapable of achieving a goal or unsure about the steps to take, you know, what kind of piece of advice would you give them?
1: Yes, uh, I think two things. One, uh, never give up. It uh, there's many times where it feels nearly impossible to achieve what it is you want to do or break through, Um, but never giving up, I I really feel is the key. And um, if anything from my life will help help you convince you of that, I I hope it does. Um, But two, I really encourage you to uh, latch on to your friend that is Buddhist that introduced you to this or how you found it how you found this podcast and just stick with that person um (laughs) they'll they'll do their best to of course encourage you when things get even rough but um always have a a good friend in a buddhist community that when you need something to be said to you and when everyone just wants to tell you it's going to be okay or going to pat you on the back of course it's necessary but there are those friends that you need that will tell you what you need to hear for your life, um, mm-hmm. who I consider good friends. So I think have good friends in your Buddhist community um, locally that you can always talk to and be real with. Like none of, like I tell my kids all the time, like like I'll keep it real with you if you keep it real with me. Like that's, that's the only way we're gonna be able to move forward with the situation. So uh, really encourage everybody, like never give up and find that good friend in the Buddhist community for you to just latch on and stick with forever.
0: While Joseph's story is about college, I think the takeaways are actually universal. Anyone who's ever felt stuck or daunted by the challenges in front of them can probably relate. But, like Joseph, I've seen time and time again that the combination of a daily practice of chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo and having a supportive community of friends can make moving forward so much easier. As always, for more inspiring content on purpose and courage, check out Buddhability.org to connect with your local Buddhist community or, if you're in college, To find out if there's a Buddhist campus club at your college, just email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review on whichever podcast app you use, as this helps the show get discovered. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.